Our text for this morning's message will be in Exodus chapter 1. We're revisiting our series we do once a month called Beginnings, where it's a walk through the Old Testament, kind of a bird's eye view of some things. And this morning we come to the book of Exodus. You ever hear somebody use the word epic? I grew up in the skater culture of the 90s, a skater surfer culture, and we used that word all the time, epic. Whether it was a trick somebody did or a vacation somebody went on or a movie somebody saw, they usually use that to try to convey something awesome. Well, technically... It's a poem or literature that describes history. Well, all that, what I want to say is what we have before us in Exodus is epic. This is an epic journey, a journey like no other, something only that God can do. And as we take our first steps in the book this morning, I want you to understand that this is totally God's doing. It will be all the way through. We're going to take our first look in Exodus chapter 1. We're going to read down through verse 22, verse 1 through verse 22, the whole chapter. Exodus chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Now these are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt. Every man in his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were seventy souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, and all his brethren, and all that generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful, and increased abundantly, and multiplied, and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply, and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. But, verse 12, the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar and in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of one was Shipra, and the name of the other Pua. And he said, when you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then you shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men and children alive. And the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, why have you done this thing and have saved the men and children alive? And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively and are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. Let's pray this morning. Father, I ask your blessing now on this time that we come together 
to gather around your word, that your word would be preeminent, Lord, that you would remove the distractions from our minds and the things that might get in the way. Let the truth that is here settle deep within our hearts. Do the work that only you can do. Take these things by your Holy Spirit deep into our very selves. Give me strength to say only what is needed, nothing more, nothing less, Lord. May you receive glory for all that is done. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. What we have before us in the book of Exodus is a very important part of Scripture. Some people attack it and say it's allegory. Some people say it's some form of poetic language. Let me make it clear, this is not fiction. In fact, you can't really make some of this stuff up. If we have fictional stories, it's because it's based on the historical account that we have here in Exodus. This happened. It is something that God does for His people. And some of us are very familiar with it. I'm one of those who grew up in church, so I remember being able to recite the ten plagues from when I was just a little guy. The flies and the frogs and the darkness and all of that. I grew up with this story, and maybe even some of you can kind of recount what takes place in the book of Exodus to some extent or another. There's not many stories out in the world that do that. There's not many movies that will stick with us that way. That's because God's working is better than anything the world can do. The Bible does that. And it's important that we know what takes place here. It's not only important because it's historical fact, but because of what it pictures. What we're going to see and, and as we go along is a beautiful and a clear type of some things that happened in the age that we worship, in the age of grace, in the age of the church. It happens to Israel, but it shows what happens for us as well. It's a beautiful type. And so we're going to do our best to make that clear as we go along. This morning is kind of a prologue. It's kind of an introduction, if you will, to some things that will happen in Exodus. A setup for the journey that's about to come. And there's just three things I'd like you to consider this morning. And we do have a lot of ground to cover, but about 35 minutes or so to do it. And uh, so listen quick. First point that I see here is a preparation of the people. There's a preparation of a people that takes place here. Look in verse 1. These are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt. If you remember last time we left off with Joseph and all that God did for him, an amazing story, an amazing individual, and how God brought him through trials and ultimately set him up as second in the kingdom of Egypt. And we have the famine that goes along and how God provides for Jacob and his sons by placing Joseph in that place. So they come down to Egypt, actually to live, to not only receive food in a time of famine, but to make their home there. These are the names which came into Egypt. Every man in his household came with Jacob. Verse 2 and verse 3 and verse 4 tells us the sons of Jacob. So it's Jacob, all his sons, all of their families, they all come down into Egypt. There's about 70 of them. God uses Joseph to to bring them there, providing for his people. And look in verse 7, God blesses them there. Verse 7, and the children of Israel were fruitful, and they increased abundantly, multiplied, and waxed exceeding mightily, and the land was filled with them. There's a lot of descriptors there. 
When it says increased abundantly, it literally means to swarm, to multiply, to heap up, and wax exceeding mighty, vehemently numerous. It says the land is filled with them. God is blessing them. You think Moses, who writes this, is trying to make a point? Actually, he is. God is blessing them abundantly because he's keeping his promises to them. Just a few short years ago, God made a promise to Abraham. Remember that? He says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. In fact, your descendants are going to be like the sand of the sea or the stars of the sky. Well, it wasn't too long after that. God does exactly that. He takes his family into Egypt, and in Egypt, he makes them fill the land. This is God keeping his promise. And it's a time of great blessing for Israel. You know what? I'm, I'm sure they enjoyed it. I mean, who wouldn't? You have food and water and a nice place to live. You have some form of protection from the rulers. That There was a time when Pharaoh was sympathetic to Joseph and he says, hey, take all your family. I'll provide for them. They're going to be like my family. Everything will be fine. That's how they got there. And I'm sure they enjoyed that time of blessing. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the blessings of God. Nothing wrong with enjoying how He has provided in our lives. Haven't we done the same, right? God has provided abundantly for us. We enjoy our freedoms here. We're free to worship. We're free to make a life for ourselves. Those are the blessings of God. And we should enjoy them. We should be thankful for them. In fact, there's Baptist churches all across the landscape of America because of God's blessings. Maybe at one time they were more prevalent, but they're still there nonetheless. And that's because God has multiplied us, hasn't He? He's brought us here to this land and blessed us just as He did with Israel. And we ought to be thankful for that and we ought to enjoy it and thank God for it. And they go along for however many years and then, you see, it was all fine and well until it wasn't. Then something happens. Verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt. One which knew not Joseph. We got a new pharaoh. One who's not sympathetic to this people. One who's not sympathetic to their history or their beliefs. Maybe somebody forgot to tell him. Or maybe somebody did tell him and he didn't care. However, it happens, things are about to change. What does he say in verse 10? He said to his people, Behold, these people are the children of Israel. They're more and mightier than we. Look at how many of them there are. Let's deal wisely, lest they multiply and it come to pass when there falleth out any war, they join our enemies and fight against us. And we are defeated. You see, the favor they once enjoyed is now no more. Before they were left, al- left alone down there in the land of Goshen to do their own thing and have their own religion until somebody noticed what they were doing and it didn't fit their agenda. Kind of sound familiar? We've worshipped God, in many different ways, but there's been a freedom to do that across the land until it doesn't fit somebody's agenda. And there rises somebody up that says, well, look how many of them there are. 
If they rise up, we're done. Let me just say, things that are going on in this country, laws that are being passed, things that are becoming normal, if we, the people of God, if any Bible believer, for that matter, if we would rise up and have a voice or use our voice, things would change. But too often we stay quiet. We have in our mindset, well, what's it going to (laughs) do? If people would stand up and speak their mind, things just might change. You know what I don't see happening here? Anybody of Israel standing up and saying, whoa, 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 hold on. Don't you remember? Don't you remember Joseph? Don't you remember what he did? Don't you remember the promise that had been made by previous pharaohs? And to, to our shame, we've kind of done the same thing, haven't we? Hold on, this is not what this country is about. We're not a godless country It's on our very currency. In God we trust. We have uh, freedoms here of religion and freedoms of speech and freedoms of expression. And we ought to stand up for those. But too often we've been quiet and now new pharaohs are coming into power. Ones who are not sympathetic to what the Bible says. It's at that point things change, right? I want you to look at verse 11. Therefore they, that's Egypt, Pharaoh's people, they did set over them, Israel, taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. I don't know how verse 11 came to happen. Like, did it happen overnight? All of a sudden, boom, you guys are going to work. And there's nobody in leadership to help them, so they simply accept it and go along? Or was it little by little? Like over a period of years, just little by little bringing them into slavery. I don't know. I know the same thing kind of happens today, right? You turn around and a law has been passed and we didn't get a say in it. And What's this all about? Well, there's nothing we can do and so we have to accept it, right? That happens or little by little things creep in and over time it just becomes normal. We've seen both happen in society and whichever way it happened, it happens here. All of a sudden... They go from freedom to forced labor. They were a free nation. Now they are under Egypt's control. Our human mind says, well, that's pretty bad. And it is. But I want you to see verse 12. But the more they afflicted him, the more Israel was afflicted by Egypt, the more they multiplied and grew. And Israel, or excuse me, Egypt was grieved because of the children of Israel. You see, in the hardship, God blesses them still. You know, hard times come along, or things come along that might infringe on our lives, and all of a sudden we're asking, where is God? As if He has removed His blessing hand from us. But, beloved, I can tell you time and time again in my own life, sometimes it's when in, in the hard times of life is when God blesses the most when His blessings are the most evident. You see, He blesses in the good times, and He blesses in the bad times. And we see it right here for Egypt. And that has been the truth for all of history. God's people have stood through some hard times, and God has blessed them through some dark times. And even as as we, as the church of God today, face some Darkness on the horizon, we must understand and we must have faith that God will still bless. He will still carry us through. Even if things get worse, 
which they do for Israel. Verse 13, And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. They made their lives bitter with hard bondage. In mortar and in brick, they're building buildings out of mud and straw. In all manner of service in the field and all their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. See, they go from oppression to outright slavery. And it doesn't stop there. They go from slavery to murder. This is a holocaust in Egypt. What does Pharaoh do? He tells the midwives in verse 15 to kill all of the male children. Any male that is born, you kill them. Because if you kill all the males, they'll stop producing. They'll stop multiplying. I don't know who's with these people. They just keep growing and growing and they just keep multiplying. We've got them under slavery, but I don't understand. They just won't stop. Okay, well, I'll do something. Let's kill all the males so they won't anymore. The world will go to drastic measures to stop the people of God. You must understand that. But in that, God blesses. Look at verse 15. The king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of one was Shifra, and the name of the other Pua. I thank God for these two beautiful, faithful women. Pharaoh tells them, hey, this is what I want you to do, and they tell a little white lie, I guess, and say, I don't know what's happening. We come in, the babies are already delivered. We can't kill them, they're already done. They're standing up for God in faithful times. You know, in biblical times, names really meant something. They, these are weird names to us today. I don't know that we're going to name our daughters Shifra or Pua. But I want you to know what their names mean. You know what Shifra means? Fairness, clearness, brightness. And Pua means to glitter, brilliant, splendid. What fitting names for wonderful women in a time of darkness. They are faithful to God in the worst circumstances. And what this world needs today in our time of ever-deepening darkness with so many Delilahs out there, with so many Jezebels out there, we need some godly women like these two to stand up for what Scripture says. To stand up and say, this is God's plan for a woman. This is God's wonderful purpose for me. You can have an impact on the mothers in your life. You can have an impact on your husband, on your family, on your home. Yes, even on society that can be greater than you could ever imagine. By just serving the Lord faithfully and letting His light shine through you. So Israel finds themselves here in slavery to a ruler who wants to eliminate them. Listen, this is all a type of sin and Satan and the world. Sin has enslaved us. Satan wants to destroy us. This world is not going to help. We need deliverance from that, don't we? I want you to notice chapter 2 and verse 23. This is what it leads up to. Chapter 2 and verse 23. And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried. That word sigh means to, to moan like a cattle. 
This is how bad the bondage is. To cry means not to cry like a baby, to shriek, to wail. The cry came up to God by reason of the bondage, verse 24, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered His covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God had respect unto them. God knew exactly what was going on. Let me tell you right now, maybe you're facing some things in your life. Maybe some things that are going on in society scares you. I don't know what situation you might find your own heart in, but I want you to know that God knows. God knows exactly what's going on and God hears your cry. God remembers the promises that He has made to us. Promises in Scripture like, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. Well, you know what? Sometimes we can feel like God has forsaken us. Where are you, Lord? I don't understand. Do you see what's going on? Do you see what this person is doing? Do you see what my job is doing? Do you see fill in the blank? Well, we must remember, God remembers His promises. He hasn't left. He knows and He's watching. And He hears our cries. And it just might be that He is preparing us for deliverance. That's what He was doing with Israel. God was preparing them for a deliverance like no other. Well, we might look at it and say, well, why do you have to do it that way, God? Wouldn't it be totally easier if you just took them out? Why the impression? Why the slavery? Why not just take them straight to the end? I mean, wouldn't that be so much easier? That's the way our human mind thinks, right? Why do we got to go through all this tough stuff? Why don't we just get to the end and the good? Well, first of all, think of it this way. The way that the exodus goes down is going to leave no doubt who God is. There is going to be no doubt that God will do this and He does it in a way that's glorious. You ever look back in your life and you see there is no doubt that was God. God brought me through that. I couldn't have done it. Nobody else could have done it. It was God, and God gets all the glory. That's what's about to happen. And the second thing, this sighing, this crying out, this seeking for God, it was not there in the time of blessing. You see, you you and I, we know our human nature, don't we? And, and when things are good, we kind of just go with the flow and coast along, don't we? When your bills are paid and the mortgage is paid and the work's going good and nobody's sick and your marriage is good, how often are you crying out desperately for God's help? How often are we thanking Him desperately for His provision? Probably not as much as we ought to, Right? Maybe we throw up a couple prayers. Oh, Lord, thank you for all that you've done. I really appreciate it. Maybe, maybe we get to a point where we're truly thanking Him, but for the most part, we're probably just going along with life. Oh, but when something changes, when something's taken away, our hearts are different, aren't they? Hard times or trials or losses or whatever we want to say, they have a way of stripping away everything unnecessary and turning our hearts to God in a desperate reliance, don't they? You ever have those prayers? Lord, help. Lord, strengthen me. Lord, work in this. 
where our, heart, our hearts aren't distracted by other junk. I mean, we're, we're totally focused on Him. Lord, I need You right now. Please help. Our prayers aren't wandering. We're, we're focused. We're laser focused in our, in our sight on Him. And it's usually the hard times that bring that. And sometimes, listen, sometimes we got to get to a place where we know that we need God. Where, where we are reminded we need His deliverance and that this world's not home. <laughs> Egypt wasn't home. And they had gotten pretty comfortable. Egypt was not the promised land. You remember what He told Abraham while he's walking in the land of Canaan? I'm going to give all this land to you. But Egypt, or excuse me, Israel got pretty comfortable in Egypt and they had to be reminded, hey, this is not home. This is not the promised land. Maybe sometimes we've got to have some things shake up in our lives here to remember, this is not my final home. I'm just passing through. God brings Israel, as sometimes He brings us, to a place of being prepared for deliverance. The second thing I'd like you to think about this morning is the provision of a deliverer. So God prepares His people for deliverance, and then He's going to provide the one who will deliver them. Chapter 2 and verse 1. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi, and the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child in it. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. And her maidens walked along by the riverside, and she saw the ark among the flags. And she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it, and the child grew. She brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She called his name Moses. She said, because I drew him out of the water. We can read through this account and think, oh, how cute. There's a little baby in a little ark. And he goes to Pharaoh's daughter. Oh, how nice. It's really not. Moses' mom, whose name is Jochebed, by the way, Moses' mom has to hide him for three months after he's born to keep him from getting killed. Remember the rule of Pharaoh? Any male child, you throw him in the river? She has to hide him for three months. And then she has to send him away. Moms, can you imagine that? That heartbreak, raising your child for three months and then having to send him away on a river so he doesn't get killed. (laughs) She didn't know what would happen. She didn't know Pharaoh's daughter was going to find him. She didn't know anything. She just knew he's going to die if he stayed, so I'm going to take a step of faith and let God handle it. And when we take steps of faith, 
God provides, doesn't he? God provided for her in this faith that she had. I know it's faith because it tells me in Hebrews 11. She did this in faith. And when God provides, He doesn't do so like low shelf, like just a little bit. When God provides, it's over and above than anything we could ever imagine. Do you see that here in Scripture? Who finds Him? Some random woman? No, Pharaoh's daughter. And what does she do? See, she could have saw him and say, this is a Hebrew child, he's a male, needs to be killed. She didn't kill him. She kept him. As her own. And more than that, by God's own provision, his mother gets to raise him. (laughs) You see that? God provides in ways that we can't even think. His mom, Moses' mom had no idea that this was going to happen. But she sees her son go be provided for, and her son is brought back to her to raise, to nurse, to nurture. Listen, why on earth do we get so worried that God can handle anything? Time and time and time again in Scripture, it's shown God takes care of things. There's no impossible circumstances with God. In fact, Scripture says with God, nothing shall be impossible. So why do we think so many things are? Why do we get so worried? Things don't worry God. In fact, in the impossible circumstances, God says, watch me. Watch me do what you can't even think. So perhaps in those circumstances, we ought to have a little bit more faith and watch God do what only He can do. And with this short little passage of Scripture, God provides the deliverer who's going to lead them out of bondage. Oh, God's going to be the one who does it for sure, but Moses is going to be the man that God uses, right? Moses is going to stand as God's representative, as His voice through all of it. And God is answering a prayer that they haven't even prayed yet. They haven't cried out and asked for a deliverer, but God has provided it. Listen, He may be doing so in your life, working behind the scenes, providing things for you even if you can't see it yet. Sometimes we we go through a trial and we try so hard to look for God's moving. What is He doing? How is He going to get me out of that? Just have faith. He's working. He's working to bring you through it, bring you out of it. So God has prepared His people. God has provided the deliverer. Last point this morning, God is going to prepare the deliverer. I want to end with kind of focusing on Moses. Moses is an extraordinary man. There is nobody like him in Scripture. He's like superhero level. He gets to stand on a mountain and see God, the Father. There's nobody else who got to see things that Moses saw. There's nobody else to get to to, to do and to experience the things that Moses experienced. And the relationship that he has with God, I think it's it's, it's unlike any other. God says, there's there's a point and we'll get to it. Whenever we, we, we get to that part in Scripture. But God says, out of the way, Moses. I'm going to go kill them. I've had enough with them. And Moses actually stands and says, whoa, whoa, hold on, God. Why don't we calm down a little bit? Remember your covenants. Remember this. And then there's times when Moses says, God, go strike them dead. And God is the one, hold on, Moses. I've got to 
the relationship that he has with God is unlike anybody else. Moses is an extraordinary man, but he's a man, okay? Don't forget that. All of this this relationship that he has with God, it, it didn't happen overnight. You see, Moses had to walk through some things to get to that point. Moses was a man just like you and me. But he was a man who was prepared by God to walk in the position that he was called to. Listen, God has called us to some things, hasn't he? God has a calling for your life, and he wants to prepare you for that. There's may, there may be some things we need to learn. And Moses had to learn some things. Look in chapter 2 and verse 10. The child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she called his name Moses. And she said, because I drew him out of the water. Verse 11, and it came to pass that in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out to his brethren, and he spied, and he looked on their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. Scripture here is kind of vague. It's hard to pinpoint how long Moses was with his mom before he was brought to Pharaoh. Reading Jewish history and cultural writings, it's kind of all over the place. Some people say he was there till he was two. Some people say he was there till he was four or seven or even twelve since he didn't become a man until age 13. I don't know for sure, but I do know this. While he was in mama's house, he was taught some things. See, his dad was a Levite, part of the priesthood. Mom was a Levite. He was taught some things. He was taught who God was. He was taught how we worship God at a very young age. And then Exodus, le- or, yeah, Exodus leaves a gap. It just says in verse 11, when Moses was grown, he goes out. Stephen fills that in for us in the book of Acts. Let me read to you part of Acts chapter 7. Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. And when he was a full 40 years old, it came to his heart to visit his brethren and the children of Israel. Moses lives for 40 years in Egypt. 40 years. Forty years as living as a son of Pharaoh. That's a high position. Think of all the wealth that would come with that. Think of all the education that would come along with that. Think of all the special favor. Moses is raised literally as a prince of Egypt. He's the Pharaoh's daughter's son. He's raised in a position of royalty. Moses lives in Egypt for 40 years knowing the best life, quote-unquote, the best life possible on the planet at this time. Egypt was the ruling society of the world. And he lives at the top of that. He knew the peak of worldly success. He knew the peak of worldly riches. He knew the inner workings of the most advanced society and pagan religion at that time. Along with the teachings of God, he received at home. You see, Moses is educated both in the ways of God and the ways of the world. Which will factor in later as he stands before Pharaoh. And by the way, Hebrews 11 said he counted all of that as nothing. He threw it all away to follow God. That's what he says. 
So Moses is raised for 40 years in this high position. Now here's where we see that Moses is a man. Quickly as we look, he makes mistakes and he makes bad ones. Verse 11 says he goes out, he sees an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. Verse 12, and he looked this way and that way. Looks, looks all around. Nobody around. He saw that there was no man. He slew the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. You see that? Moses is a murderer. Isn't that what Scripture says? He takes this man's life. That's pretty bad on our list, isn't it? A murderer? Doesn't that like disqualify you from being used by God ever? Well, Paul was a murderer too, wasn't he? And doesn't Paul write in 1 Timothy, Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am chief? And he did this to show the pattern for all to come of grace and mercy. Jesus came to save sinners. He came to forgive our sins. He came to call us with a holy calling. And there is no one who cannot be used by God. We all can be used by God because of the grace and the mercy that is in Christ. God is in the business of forgiveness. God forgives sins. God restores sinners. It doesn't matter what may be in our past. He can forgive it. He can overcome it. He can restore us. And He can do great things in us and through our life if we would simply be yielded to Him. Moses had this in his past, yet God uses him greatly, doesn't He? Paul had many things in his past, yet God uses uses him greatly. You may have some things in your past this morning. God wants to use you. God wants to do great things, but we must repent. We must seek forgiveness for Him, from Him first for those things. And understand that He will wipe the slate clean. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness, the book of 1 John says. If we would simply be yielded to Him, well, He can use us in a great way. Moses had this in his past and he was used because God forgives, which also means there are no excuses. How many times do we say, I can't, Lord, because fill in the blank. Moses could have said, and Moses actually is going to try it in chapter 3 and he gets shut down. God says, enough. But how many times do we say, Lord, I can't do this because don't you know what I've done? Or I can't do it because of this or that. Those are just excuses. That's not the reality. If God can use Moses, He can use me. Now, sometimes that speaks to the condition of our own heart. When we say, I can't, because most often, if we're honest, we're we're saying, Lord, I don't want to. I don't want to do that because I'm scared. I don't want to do that because it inconveniences me. It's just an excuse. And perhaps we need to get our heart in the right place with God. And maybe if we're not seeing the working of God in us, maybe we're not seeing His moving in our life, maybe we need to check ourselves and see if our heart is in the right place. See if our heart is tender to His Word, to His will. Needless to say, at this point, uh, things change again for Moses. We don't have time 
Long story short, he flees. He runs away from Egypt because somebody saw him. He runs away from Egypt and he flees down to a place called Midian, 285 miles away. That's far, especially when you're going on foot. I don't even want to drive 285 miles. This is walking. He flees uh, to Midian. He meets a man named Jethro. He ends up marrying Jethro's daughter named Zipporah, and he has a son named Gershom. And Moses, the prince of Egypt, becomes a shepherd on the backside of a blasted desert for another 40 years. 40 years. What a contrast. What a contrast from high to low, from prince to poverty. We look at that and say, man, that stinks. (laughs) Poor Moses. Oh, look at what he had and what he has to go through now. That's with human eyes. Remember, God is preparing him for some things. See, not only has he learned the power and prestige of Egyptian life, but he's also learning the humility and the gentleness and the patience he would need to lead the people of God. And Moses is going to need it because they're going to complain just about every step of the way. And if he hasn't learned some patience, well, things might have turned out differently, but he has taught this. Moses was not only mighty in word and deed, but Numbers 12 and 3 says he was the meekest man on the face of the earth. And God taught him both. And I want you to know, chapter 3, which is the burning bush, when he meets God, that doesn't take place in Pharaoh's palace. It takes place on the backside of the desert. So all the pieces now are set in place. By God's sovereign hand, the people are ready for deliverance. Moses is ready, ready for this epic journey. And it's going to be amazing and glorious as only God can do. I want you to just simply take notice of some of these things this morning. Listen, we don't always understand why things happen in life, do we? We don't always understand why we have to go through some certain things or why things happen and why God allows different situations in our life. But it just may be that He is preparing us for some things. When a trial comes, we're quick to say, Lord, why? Lord, get me out, right? Maybe we ought to say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? Show me now. Show me, help me to learn. Maybe God is preparing you for some things in your own life this morning. Maybe He's bringing you a point to fully trust Him. That starts with the gospel. Listen, Christ is all over this. We are in slavery to sin. We are in slavery to this world. We are under its judgment, under its condemnation. The only hope we have of deliverance is the blood of Christ on Calvary. He who came to shed His blood for our sins. He who endured the cross for the joy that was set before Him, which is the redemption that He would buy for us. If we would simply have faith in Him. 
He is the one who delivers us from sin. Maybe He's preparing you to trust Him and follow His calling for your life. Whatever the case may be, I would urge you this morning to trust Him. God knows what He's doing. Maybe our heart needs to be tender to His teaching. Maybe you find yourself in a time of blessing and everything's going good, if you want to say that way in life. Well, you know what we need to do? Get on our knees in desperate thankfulness and say, Lord, thank You that You have brought me here. Thank You for all that You've done. Thank You for Your provision. I have all that I have only because of You. Whatever the case may be, we ought to trust in the Lord. God has a calling for us. God has a journey for us to walk on in this life. A journey of following Him, of being faithful to His Word, of being faithful to to His calling. There are things that He will do for us. There There are things He will do in us and through us. And trust me when I say this, the journey that God has for us is epic. It's better than anything this world can offer. I don't care if you somehow make all the money that the world would give and you have the highest position on this world and you're the king of the earth. None of that compares to the peace and the love and the joy that God would walk with us in this life. None of it. The journey He has for you, the journey He has for me is epic. Do you realize that you could bring the gospel to somebody in your life and see them be saved as a result of your witness? Do you realize you can bring the peace of this world to somebody who's broken in this world and see the Lord change your life? And we can see glimpses of heaven, glimpses of the the promise that He has for us as we pray and we commune with Him and to know what eternity waits for us. That journey is an epic journey that He has for us. He may be preparing some things in your life for that. But you've got to follow we got to follow Him. You see, we could reject. You know, down the line later, after some plagues and all that they see, Israel gets up and leaves. We're going out of Egypt. There's some who stayed. They didn't follow We can say no to God. We can hear His truth or we can see His working in our life and say, no, I want this more. Listen, what God has for us is good. It's better than anything this world has. It will change our life. It will rock our world. It will change our families. It could rock this city that we worship in. if we would follow and learn from Him as He teaches us. Moses had to trust, the people had to trust in God as they prepared Him. So my prayer for you this morning, whatever God may be working in your heart, whether it's to trust Him for salvation or whether it's to follow Him in a faithful life of service, maybe He's leading you through a trial, whatever it is, Would you trust His sovereign hand as He works? Prepares you for what He has called you to do. Let's bow our heads. Father, 
I ask your blessing on the word this morning. We see your mighty working through the people of Israel as you're preparing to bring them out of Egypt. We see the way that you care for us and the way that you have provided for us, Lord. There may be some who are facing difficulties or tough times this morning in their own lives, Lord. I ask that you would reassure them of your presence, reassure them of your providing hand, and that we would trust in you through the trials. Lord, maybe there's one who does not know you as Savior, still in slavery, still in bondage to sin, to Satan, to this world. Lord, I ask that you would Show them Christ on the cross, the one who has died to set us free, Lord, that they would place their faith in them before it's eternally too late. Give us strength for this journey you have called us on, Lord, to walk for you and to live for you in this life, that you would guide us each step of the way, Lord. Take the words that I have spoken. Do much more with them than I could ever do, Lord. I pray that you would be glorified in everything that is said, and even as we come to a time of invitation, that you would move as only you can. I thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen.